Hey, if you have your Bibles today, I'm going to ask you to do this. I want you to open it up to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to pick back up uh, kind of where we left off last week, and we're going to pick it up today and go a little bit uh, forward. Interesting, interesting, interesting emails and responses and, and the conversations with you this week. I really appreciate the feedback. I appreciate that you guys heard last week and that you went back to the scriptures and tested. And we had some great conversations really around this matter of divorce and remarriage and God's plan for marriage. And, and it was really, um, I got to tell you, it's challenging as a pastor when you come to those passages and you have to preach what the truth of scripture is, knowing that truth also impacts people where they live. And so just a couple things to make sure we're understanding as we prepare to move forward today. First of all is this, God has an ultimate uh, plan and will and desire. We call that the perfect will of God for each and every one of us. And that's that we find our meaning and our identity and our fulfillment and our purpose completely in Him, that we surrender and submit ourselves completely to God and His love and His forgiveness and His grace and His plan for us, and that, and that we surrender ourselves and love uh, to one another as well. Hey, thank you, Charlie. I appreciate that. And so uh, that, that's God's ultimate plan, and, and the way that applies in, in marriage and, and, and sometimes in singleness and, and, and sometimes in divorce and, and remarriage is that God loves and God restores and God redeems and God forgives, but he still has an ultimate and a perfect purpose that he calls us to, and that's not always easy. And so what we try to do as Christians is this, submit to God's will, receive God's forgiveness, and live in God's way. Divorce is and always will be the result of sin. And that's because mankind's heart has been hardened. Mankind seeks himself and the pride of our, of our own desires, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life that drive us. And, and those can lead to divorce. And it breaks the heart of God because what God has drawn together, he wants for no one ever to, to, to separate or to rend. And the reality is that divorce is always painful and it hurts. Then it causes victims of one another and of children, of families and friends. And that was never God's desire for us. But because sin has made its way into our lives, many of us in our church have felt the sting of divorce either in our own lives or, or in the lives of someone close to us. Or maybe it's something that's even looming out there in front of us. And I want you to just hear me close that kind of a concept and that part of the message with this. God loves, God heals, God restores, and God has a best plan and a best design. And that's what he wants for all of us. So wherever you may find yourself right now in life, the challenge is this. Seek God's face, seek God's counsel, and seek to honor him above all in all that you do. And in that he can be glorified and you'll find meaning, purpose, forgiveness, restoration, and reconciliation. Fair enough? Just want to make sure we wrapped up that from last week. So uh, what I'd also like to do is head into something uh, today with a little bit of a preface. Um, the Word of God does not change with culture. Can we, can we agree to that? This is a Bible that I'm waving at you here, Baptist dog, because that's who I am, I guess. Um, but, but here's what I want to get across to you. The Bible is God's inerrant, infallible word across the ages, okay? And, and, and here's what we're challenged to read the, the words of John Wesley. He said, the church should be judged by the scripture, not the scriptures by the church. In other words, we have a responsibility as God's people to be judged by the Scripture and to do what Scripture tells us and to hold it above all else. In the Westminster Confession, it says this, The whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for God's glory and man's salvation, faith and life, is either expressly set down in Scripture or by good and necessary consequence may be deducted from the Scripture, unto which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelations or spirits or traditions of men. 
The scripture is God's word across the ages. And so the reason we do what we call expository preaching here at Community Church is that we go verse by verse, word by word, understand what it meant when it was written and to the people to whom it was written, and then make application into our own lives today. And what could be more apropos than understanding that the people in Corinth had challenges in their marriages and relationships just like we do today. And so the message in Corinthians is the message to the Americans. And that's why we're studying Corinthians the way we are. Just wanted to remind everybody and set that up as we uh, dive back into this matter of divorce and singleness. So today we find ourselves uh, looking in two passages. We're going to be in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to pick up this morning um, on verses 10 to 16. Now I'm not going to go through all the verses. I want to zero in in particular on one little, a couple little passages here that are confusing and make people go, what are you talking about? I don't understand. That's a strange idea, and I don't understand what Paul is trying to say. And, and as we do that, I want to remind you of one more thing, a little bit of setup here. Uh, the scriptures were written in the Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek languages. You guys know that, right? Okay. Most of us are not Greek, Aramaic, and Hebrew scholars. And here's an amazing thing. Most of us did not live at the time when the Bible was being written 2,000 years ago, right? With rare exception like Jerry Barr and others, we're not old enough to remember that era. So here's what we have to do. What we have to do is this. We have to understand the culture it was written into and understand what it meant to them so we can make application about what it means to us. And what's really brilliant is that sometimes in Scripture we listen and we read it with 21st century, postmodern, American, Western, English-speaking ears and minds and eyes, and we assume somehow that, that when we read it, we're fully equipped to translate what's happening with our American, postmodern, uh, enlightenment way of understanding. And the fact of the matter is you need some help every once in a while. And there's two pieces in this passage we need some help with, okay? So that's how we get to this moment. Verse 14. So 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 14 reads like this. <laughs> For the unbelieving husband is made holy by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. What? <laughs> so when we read that, it makes us go, what are you talking about? And then it gets even more complicated as we move over onto verse 29. It says, this is what I mean, brothers and sisters. The time is limited. So from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they didn't own anything. And those who use the world as if they did not make use of it at all. For this world in its current form is passing away. What? So when you read those two passages, it is natural for us in our English, 21st century, Western, postmodern world to go, what in the world is the scripture talking about? Let's take a look, because this is kind of fun. Verse 14 talks like this. For the unbelieving husband is made holy by the wife, and the wife made holy by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. So here's where Paul's going with this. God has an ultimate plan for humanity, okay, when it comes to our homes and our marriages. And it looks like this. It looks like one man with one woman for one lifetime. 
and that children are raised up in that home where, where mom and dad love God supremely and above all, and they love one another more than they love their own selves, and that children are raised up in that environment, and that they see mom completely loving and being able to trust dad, and they see dad completely loving and sacrificing himself for his family and his wife, and they see that picture, and they go, that's the image of God's plan. And the children see and their neighbors see and their friends see and, and parents who surrendered their children in this marriage see uh, that, that in this marriage they love God more than they love anything else. And so this picture becomes the picture of the gospel, loving the Lord your God above all else and loving your husband and wife even more than you love yourself and then raising your children up in that image of the gospel and the picture of God's plan. That is, that is the holy, that is to say God's way of doing things. That is the kingdom purpose and picture of marriage. Now, if we're honest, if all of us can be honest for a second, that's what we want for ourselves and for our kids and the people we love, isn't it? Yeah? How, how many of you have said, my gosh, I just hope that my child someday goes through the soul-searing, rending horror of divorce? Of course not. How many of us think, I sure hope that, that my sweet daughter gets married and he scams on her and leaves her destitute? And that she has to start over and find another person and, and raise kids on her own? And isn't that what we want for our kids? No, of course not. What we want is God's plan. Because <laughs> see, in our heart, there's this picture, this understanding of God's plan. That's the holy that Paul is speaking about. Now, what he's saying is this. Whatever the circumstance you may find yourself in, let me read his words, not my own. He said, let each one live his life in this situation the Lord has assigned and God has called him. This is what I command to all the churches. For all you know, wife, you may save your husband. Husband, for all you know, you may save your wife. What Paul is saying in each of these circumstances is, wherever you find yourself, you live your life in a holy way. You do holy even where you are. And in doing so, particularly your spouse, your children, your neighbors, your friends, your family will see the holiness in you and give glory to your God for the way that you have conducted yourself even if you're, if you're being wronged, even if you're married to a person who doesn't believe as you do, even if you came to Jesus Christ in a marriage and your spouse has not, even if you're in a marriage where you are vastly more mature in your faith and your surrender to Jesus than your spouse, you continue to live as God has called you because what do you know? God may use that to show your children or your neighbor or your family or your spouse his love, his grace, and his holiness and bring holiness into your marriage. That's what Paul's challenge was. That's what he was saying in those verses. And that's the challenge to each and every one of us today, right? That in your marriage, when, when things that get kind of wonky or you get out of sync with your spouse, live according to your complete love for Jesus Christ and loving your spouse more to yourself, more than yourself. And in that, and in that, there's holiness. That's easier said than done, isn't it? <laughs> Anybody ever been perfect in your marriage and you're married to, you know, that person? Yeah? yeah, My wife could tell you that story, right? But but the reality is this. All of us are imperfect and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. 
But by living surrendered to God, we can paint the picture of holiness and write the words of holiness for others around us to see and to read. And that's what verse 14 is talking about. But then it ends in this other crazy statement that sometimes people read and misinterpret. I was the victim of this misinterpretation when I was young. And it goes like this. Uh, It says, otherwise your children will be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. When I was a kid, I heard this said about me. Because your father's first marriage failed, you're a bastard, and God can never really use you for anything holy. You can't be in the ministry. You're not holy. Because Scripture says you're unholy. And if you read the Scripture like an imbecile, that's the kind of thing you would get out of it. But we try to be a little bit smarter than that. And so when we read what Paul is saying, he says, otherwise your children would be unclean, but as it is they are holy. What we understand God is saying is this. Holy is God's perfect design. Holy is God's perfect will. Holy is God's choice and the way he wants you to do it. That one man, one woman, one lifetime raising children in an environment where they see a total love for God on the part of mom and dad and a total sacrificial love for one another on the part of mom and dad. In that image, they see the holiness of God. And when children are raised in that home, it means that they get to see the picture of holiness. And that's what God is wanting for children. Because, listen, friends, when children see that, it imprints on them an image of God's love for mankind and an understanding of how God loves his people. And when dads, when you don't live godly lives, you give a misprint of what God is like to your children. And so when people hear the love of the Father, they have to dig through all of your garbage to get to what the love of the Father really looks like. But when you live a holy life, your children have a much cleaner picture of what a holy Father and a holy God looks like. Do you, do you, hear, the, you hear the pressure? you hear the weight? And here's the other thing it says. <laughs> in, the midst of, in the midst of what Paul is saying here, but as it is, they are made holy whether you call it fair or not, okay? Whether you think it's right or not, whether we've evolved as a people in a society or not, there's still this truth. Kids who are raised in godly homes where the parents both love Jesus and are faithful to one another, they score high, higher, better academically, they have better marriages, they're more successful financially, they just have better adjusted lives. You know why? because the statistics and the facts say so. And you know what they tell you behind the scenes? God's plan is still the best plan for people. God's word, the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, it's still the blueprint for how we're supposed to be living our lives. And if we can do that, that holiness is passed down to our children. And when it's not, and when it's not, There's the grace, the forgiveness, and the redemption of the Lord Jesus Christ, who still makes a way where there seems to be no way. So if your marriage wasn't perfect or you went through that, understand this. God can still make a way. But it's not as easy as it is if you do it God's way. So that's what verse 14 is talking about. Fair enough? Does that shed some light on it? Okay. How about the more difficult one, though? Verses 29 to 31. <laughs> oh, my goodness. This has been great. I had some, some people uh, when I was, uh, well, not, they're not real close to me, but somebody had said when I was sitting at 5th and J, oh, you're going to be preaching about that, huh? And so you're supposed to live as if you don't have a wife if you're married. I can't wait to hear what you have to say about that. Okay, cool. So here's what it says. 
This is what I mean, brothers and sisters. This is verses 29 to 31. It says, this is what I mean, brothers and sisters. The time is limited. So from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they did not own anything. And those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For this world in its current form is passing away. So you read that and you're like, what in the world is he talking about? As if you didn't, as if you didn't, as if you did. Is he encouraging infidelity? Is he encouraging uh, disassociating in some weird form of asceticism in the world? That's not at all what Paul's talking about. But when we hear it with our postmodern, post-enlightenment, English, Western ears, that's what it sounds like, doesn't it? You ready to see something really remarkable about what that passage is talking about? Here's the cool thing. You already know this. It's already in here. You already hear it. There is this vestige in the back of your brain that you're about to connect to, a synopse you didn't know existed. And you're about to go, oh, that's what Paul's doing. So if you read the passage and you hear, this is what I mean, brothers and sisters, the time is limited. The time is limited. Paul is going to, in essence, refer to a hymn, a poem, a passage. They would sing it regularly in their church, and it would be like me getting up here and quoting some of the words from the songs that we just sang. Paul's going to reach back into the Old Testament, and he's quoting and alluding to a hymn, a piece of poetry that they sang in church on a regular basis. Have you figured it out yet? There is an occasion for everything and a time for every activity under heaven, a time to give birth and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down, a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to throw stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to avoid it. A time to search and a time to count as lost. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to be silent, a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for peace and a time for war. You ready to hear Paul again? This is what I mean, brothers and sisters. The time is limited. So from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they didn't own anything. And those who use the world as though they didn't make full use of it. For this world in its current form is passing away. Paul's drawing an allusion back to the message in the Ecclesiastes. And the message is this. Vanity, vanity, vanity. All is vanity. All is passing. All is going to fade. There's nothing new under the sun. There is God's way and there's man's way. And God's way is always right. And man's way will ultimately disappoint. And Paul is saying, the time that is ahead for you, Corinthians, the time that is coming here in the late 60s, the 70s and 80s AD is going to be a time of war and of tumult and of murder and of killing and of destruction, and this time is right in front of you. And what he's saying is this, everything that you do, every decision that you make needs to be made in understanding that you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ and to one another, and what you're about to go through is going to be difficult. And he's letting the people know this is coming. It's the prophetic voice that Paul is speaking in. And he does it in this incredibly brilliant way by pointing back to the Old Testament, which, by the way, is Christian scripture. As he points back to the Old Testament, he said, this is part of the gospel. There's a time and a place for everything. And sometimes it's not the time 
to be getting married. Sometimes it's not the time to be changing your life status, but to be serving God completely in the midst of the circumstances you may find yourself. That's what the message is in that passage. And what's cool about it is that Paul does it, does it by alluding right back to the Old Testament that they already knew. Now, what does that have to do with divorce and singleness? Well, as it turns out, Paul is setting the stage for what he's about to do in these following verses. So I challenge you now to hear um, some of these following verses. We're going to go from verse 25 to 28, okay? 25 to 28, and then 32 to 35. 25, 28, 32, 35. I'm going to read those, and then we'll start to unpack what he's saying. But before I do it, let me, let me, um, let me, let me lay this groundwork. And it looks like uh, there's where we're going to be. What on earth is Paul talking about? Well, we're going to unpack that. So, so here's what Paul's doing. Paul is going to be picking up on an assumption that sometimes isn't a safe assumption in our Western postmodern culture. And it's this. God's plan for intimacy and sexuality was purity, virginity, prior to marriage. Okay? Is that a safe assumption to make in the United States of America today? You guys are awake, right? Let's try this again. God's plan for, for purity, for intimacy, for sexuality was purity, that is to say virginity, prior to marriage. Is that a safe assumption in the United States today? No. It's really not in our broader culture to expect that people would do that. Should it be a safe assumption amongst Christians, God's people? Yes, because we've understood that God has a higher standard. His ways are above our ways, His thoughts above our thoughts. And this was God's call, okay? But in Corinth, astonishingly, it was still a high value. It was still expected that if you were not married, you would be called a virgin, which means you would be sexually intimacy pure until you were married. This was an incredibly high value. Now, um, there's distinctions and there's breakdowns, and you can take an illustration only but so far, but understood it was still a high value in their culture, as it should be in ours, because there's something special about that purity, that waiting, that patience, that time of, of dedication Husband and wife saying, this is something nobody else can share with us, that only we have been here. Only we have this. There's nothing to be ashamed of, no person from the past that might show up and have an awkward conversation now. Uh, There's no thing that's going to just show up. Your body belongs to her. Her body belongs to you. You belong to one another, and you both belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that picture of purity, there is a specialness, there is a sacredness, and that is God's plan. It's not dirty, it's not hee hee hee, it's God's plan. And when we see it that way and we understand if we do it that way, do God's plan, our lives are going to be better. And chances are our kids' lives are going to be better. It was God's plan. And so the assumption Paul has, and it was safe to make in Corinth, is that if you were unmarried, you were a virgin. And so when Paul is engaging this subject matter, he is making that assumption. Let's hear his words. We're going to go verses 25 to 28. Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I do give my, my opinion as one who by the Lord's mercy is faithful. By the way, that faithful means he's sexually pure as well. Because of the present distress, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. However, if you do get married, you've got sin. And if a virgin marries, she's not sinned. But such people will have much trouble in this life. And I'm trying to spare you. Verse 32. 
But I want you to be without concerns. The unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may praise the Lord. But the married man is concerned about the things of this world, how he may please his wife. And his interests are divided. The unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, so that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But the married woman is concerned about the things of this world, how she may please her husband. I'm saying this for your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you, but to promote what is proper so that you may be devoted to the Lord and without distraction. I want you to watch this video. I want you to listen to her point of view, and then we'll come back and we'll continue to talk about this idea of singleness as an act of devotion or being set aside for a special purpose. I viewed singleness as something that eventually would change. Uh, When you're 20, you're single because you haven't gotten married yet. When you're 30, you're single because you're single, because you're not married. Being single, I'm tempted towards sin in unique ways. Like, I'm tempted to believe there's something wrong with me, so that means I need to fix it, so that means I need to go spend money on this, or I need to go get on this dating site, or I need to go pursue this man, or whatever. because of a fear that I should be married by now and I'm not and all that and all those anxieties. I've most felt my singleness when there was a loss in my family a few years ago. It was the first time I really felt like I wish somebody was here with me to carry this burden. Um, I wish I was partnering with somebody that could help me with this and it just wasn't there. Now, my singleness, I envision it as the Lord's gift to me. For me, as Christ has transformed my heart and thinking about, well, if I'm called to a life to give things away, then one of the biggest and honestly most intimate things I can do is welcome people into my home. So I bought a house, and then I had friends that needed places to stay who all happened to be missionaries. And so it was like, okay, well, this makes sense. And so I just invited people to come, and they came. And then it, the house kind of grew with a reputation of being an open and welcoming home. I, I don't have a divided attention. I can just invite people in with the hope that I can serve and love them. Monday's last semester, I had a college Bible study, and so... Uh, We would have a meal beforehand and go through Ephesians together. And that was neat to just to bless and to welcome college kids. Hosted missionaries for extended period of time as they've needed places. There seems to always be an excuse to open up your home. Um, And I try and take as many of those as possible. My story is that Lord has just filled my home with singles, with adults, with everybody. I, I live a very happy and full life just as I've grown in this hospitality. So here's where Paul's going. Singleness is not brokenness. Singleness is not some lesser form of humanity. Singleness isn't a fail to be in God's plan. Singleness is often a calling. It's a freedom to be able to serve God completely and wholly without distraction. Bless you. But when you're married, you have responsibilities to to one another that come in the way in some ways to your freedom to be completely and totally and absolutely undistracted devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ in his ministry and what the lady in the video has done brilliantly has helped us understand that your state may be your calling and a freedom to be able to serve God completely 
Um, when Kim and I got married, there, there was a, a struggle that we've had to learn our way through. Kim knew she was marrying a, you know, a, a missions pastor, as it were, when we got married. But some of the realities of that didn't quite settle in on me and on her right away. And so I, early on in our marriage, would be gone for just a little while, you know, <laughs> long periods of time where I would be off doing, doing missions. That's what I'd be. I would be in Kentucky for several weeks or the Gulf Coast for several weeks or Brazil for several weeks or where I would be gone. And, you know, it got to be a, a bit of an issue, as you might imagine, and it would be the call like, so you, you coming home at some point or, you know, and, and we had to figure that out. I married a performing artist. And for me, I've had to learn that there's a difference in, in when she's performing or when she's got shows or when there's things she has to be. You know what those are? Those are real life. And, and that's the life. And, and are they troubles? No, they're challenges that you have to learn how to work through. But we do that because we love each other completely. And we love our God completely. And that's what you work through when you're married. You know what single people don't have to work through? That. People who are completely single and can be singularly minded, devoted to Jesus Christ, have the freedom to open up their house and have people over. Let me play out a scenario for you, ladies. You ready? Guys, just tune out for a second. Um, Your husband just invited some people over for dinner tonight, and he didn't tell you. How are we doing? This is not going to go well. Trust me, I may have done this a few times. You don't need to talk to Kim about this, just it may have happened. And so here's what, here's what that is. This is me disrespecting the person that, that is my wife by not counseling with her or getting her counsel about this before I just invite somebody over. You know what a single person doesn't have to deal with? that. <laughs> you know how long a single person can go be in Brazil, just do missions and stay focused? long as they want, as long as their job works for it. You know what a married person has to think about? I'm responsible for my wife, for my husband, for my children, for my home. And, and I can't just go do that. So, so here's the thing. Marriage is beautiful. Marriage is fantastic. It's the first thing God ever designed for human beings in his creation. But with that comes responsibility and obligation and not just the total freedom to do as you want and as you wish, or even as God may call you. Singleness should not be seen as some lesser state in our church or even in your kids or even in you. If a marriage didn't work out and you find yourself single, it may be that God is saying, maximize this. Find your meaning, your purpose, your fulfillment in me. Let's do this together. And, and, and it may be that remarriage is not what's best for you. But what's best for you is to be completely serving Jesus Christ with that kind of freedom and, and serving other people and bringing meaning, purpose, and joy to their lives. You want to hear a really difficult message about that, though? Something I've had to deal with with, with uh, gay teenagers and gay young adults and gay people in their lives who come and say, it just seems so terribly unfair that God would not allow me to be married and to have that kind of intimacy. It seems so terribly unfair and crass for God to say uh, that marriage is not allowed for me. And you know what the counsel is? I have no idea how difficult a burden that must be for you. But can I tell you that the call to serve God completely with your life and to understand that, that sexual intimacy will not be a part of your story but complete and total devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ to serve him unencumbered for the rest of your life is a part of your story that a lot of people will never be able to enjoy or truly understand. And the rewards for you 
in being faithful in a calling that's so much more difficult than I can even begin to understand is going to be a beautiful testimony for you to be able to share with others who are just like you. Wow. You mean God may even have a plan for homosexuality? (laughs) Yeah. And it might be a calling that most of us who are heterosexuals can't even begin to understand or appreciate. But if we're brave enough to be able to see what the Word of God is teaching and say this is where God has called some people because of the fallenness of man and the impact of sin and the reality of life in our world, singleness is not brokenness. It's a call to a different calling and in some ways a higher calling than even marriage. You guys hearing me on that? That's tough, isn't it? Isn't that the lightweight stuff? Aren't we in the shallow end now? So this is what Paul is getting across to those Corinthians, this, this idea of a singular focus, this idea of focusing entirely on the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, that is the highest calling that many of us are ever going to hear. And if you're in a marriage, if you're married, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and to love your partner even more than you love yourself. Because in doing though that, your marriage is holy, and your children are going to see a perfect picture of what marriage is supposed to be. So whatever situation you may find yourself in, Paul is saying, live that according to the Lord. Uh, He says it like this in verse 17. Let each one live his life in the situation the Lord God has called him. This is what I command in all of the churches. Let me close with this point. The world that we live in today, the, the, the society, the culture that we live in today is, uh, shall we say, narcissistic. Our culture, our society tells you that the ultimate good is self-fulfillment, self-actualization, and self-happiness. This is what our culture teaches. That is not what Scripture teaches. In fact, Scripture teaches it's not all about you. It's not all about me. Can we say that together? It's not all about me. Let's try it one more time. I didn't hear everybody. It's not... It means that you are part of a family, you are part of a congregation, you are part of the family of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the way that you live your life, right, is to understand that you are a hand and someone else is a foot. You may be the head, another may be the leg. You are a part of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you are called according to his purpose, not just your own. Your life is not your own. Your decisions are not always just your own. They impact other people around you. They impact, in fact, the clarity of the gospel being shared by the way that we live our lives and the way that we conduct our marriages and the way that we conduct our love for people around us. That's the picture we paint of the gospel. And when we live selfishly rather than selflessly, When we think of myself and my happiness and my fulfillment as an ultimate goal, you will never understand what it is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, all your strength and your might, and love your neighbor as yourself. So you see, we are a communal people. We are a community of the saints. That's what we're called to be, responsible before Jesus Christ and before one another for the way that we lived our lives and the way that we are honoring Jesus Christ with our decisions. Does that make sense? So our marriage... And our singleness, and our virginity, our purity, all of these things have to do with the gospel being lived out in our lives.